0: Good morning. We are looking, as uh, these guys have mentioned, at an amazing psalm, a beautiful psalm. Actually, we want to comfort you. We want to encourage you. We want to fill your life with hope in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly why God has given us his son and God has given us his word. So grab a Bible, grab a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring one. And turn to just about the middle of those Bibles in front of you, page 612. We're looking at this wonderful Old Testament psalm, Psalm 121, which actually speaks to one of the biggest issues in our lives. And that is our our problem with worry, with fear, with anxiety, with frustration. You see, your challenge... In your challenges, is that you forget that there is no challenge too big for God, right? We forget that all the time. Functionally, we forget that. Uh, We we believe that, but then when push comes to shove, uh, we forget that there's no challenge. This particular moment, this particular issue, too big for uh, God. Last week, we took a used car we had just purchased last weekend. Um, We took this car, drove it to my son's 21st birthday in Atlanta. So that's typically not quite a 12-hour drive. We had bought him this little used uh, 5-year-old Toyota Corolla. We got on the highway. We left at 5 in the morning. You know, we were timing so we'd avoid uh, traffic. And we get about 45 minutes down the road, and then the rear bumper guard comes off. And Rhonda looks in the rearview mirror, and the side panels are kind of flapping out. Now I don't have a mechanical fiber in my body. All that stuff is lost on me. So pull off the interstate, um, get out, and kind of okay. I got to put this plastic back into plastic, and I you know I nail this. And so we we'll, we'll get back in the car, and we're going 75 miles an hour down the road, what whatever. And all of a sudden, they're flapping again. Ten times before we got to Champagne. Ten times. Make a long story short, we have to go to a body shop about 15 miles off the interstate. Wasn't a big deal. Just a couple screws came loose. That happened to me a long time ago. Um, And they had to put it back on. It was just a $30 repair. And then we get to Nashville, and the traffic is terrible in Nashville. And I, I'm not in the greatest mood to begin with, you know, with 10 stops along the interstate and body shop, and we're way behind schedule, and then traffic, and, and I had fallen asleep and I woke up, and I started saying something about the traffic, and Rhonda said, would you go back to sleep? Then we get to Chattanooga. Chattanooga is a town of 190,000 people, but everybody in the south was on the interstate that day going to Florida. It was unbelievable bumper traffic. None of that paled, and uh, none of that compared to what we hit when we got to Atlanta at rush hour. And so what turned out to be this great idea of taking this used little Toyota Corolla, To our son, because he had totaled his car earlier in the summer, um, became one of the most interesting road trips I've ever experienced, and I've taken a lot of them. It was a challenge. And at different points, I, I wish I could say I handled it perfectly, but I didn't. We all face that, and they come out of nowhere. I mean, you're heading down the interstate, and all of a sudden, everything changes. One of the things I love, love, love about this psalm is that this is one of 15 ascent psalms. They're pilgrim psalms for Jews that were making the annual pilgrimage three times a year to the three different religious festivals in Jerusalem. And they would go as an entire family usually. And they're called Ascent Psalms because most of the people lived along the coast or in the desert areas or along the Jordan River Valley. And Jerusalem was in the hills, so they literally ascended when they went to Jerusalem. Hence, 15 of these psalms, and this is the second one, are called ascent psalms. And they were written to give people, as they were traveling this dangerous, difficult journey through the mountains, through the desert, through the heat, the snakes, think of all of that, where they were vulnerable and exposed. They were written to give these people hope and encouragement along the way. And because of that, these psalms are metaphors for how you and I handle the difficulties, the journeys of life. And of all 15 of these, this psalm, Psalm 121, is by far uh, the most well-known, the most beloved, and probably the most poetic. So let's read beginning in verse 1. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who just happens to be the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your feet slip. Now I need to stop here. This is poetry. These are figures of speech. This is a metaphor for God's active, detailed, specific, personal presence in our lives his protection in our lives the way he works in the life of his children think uh, romans chapter 8 god works all things together for good that verse does not say all things are good but that god works all things together for good so the psalmist is not saying you will not trip ever And we were hiking in the Rocky Mountains a couple of weeks ago, just last month in June, and I took a really bad fall. I tripped. That's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that God's got your back, and he's going to get you through. He's going to carry you. Keep you safe. Let's keep reading. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is, at your, is your shade at your right hand. I love that figure. So the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Now again, remember, these are figures, This is not a promise that you will never have any harm or you will never experience any any problems or you will never die. We all die. We all face troubles. Uh, The point here, Eric, will you stop that? Did it fall? Sorry, I just had to dig on him. I love the guy. Just wanted to embarrass him. Um. This is a figure for that. God's going to see you safe. God's going to get you to the other side. God's going to carry you through. Now let's continue. He will watch over your life. Now we come to the last verse. The Lord will watch over you, over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So, what do we see? Well, really what we see is that life is a journey, and this journey is full of problems, it's full of challenges, it's full of worries. Uh, These vulnerable, exposed pilgrims, as they traveled through the treacherous terrain, had theirs, we have ours today. Sometimes it's your singleness. You know, will I ever get married, God? Or sometimes it's your marriage. Will this thing ever change? Sometimes it's your job, it's a difficult job, it's a new job, or you lost your job. Sometimes it's a health issue, maybe it's you, but it could be an aging parent, or it could be a child that's struggling with something. Sometimes it's a family conflict, sometimes it's the financial pressure we uh, feel, and then there's sometimes we just feel flat worn out, right? We kind of feel like we're on this treadmill, we're not getting anywhere very fast, So what I want to do before I get into the particulars is kind of look at this psalm from 30,000 feet. And I want to begin this way. There are three basic responses to worry or the the problems that cause worry. The first is if you are a non-Christian, say, secularist, you don't believe God exists, then your approach is you have to say, I'll handle my problems on my own. And that's because you're a person that wants to be free. And and that's a good thing. We all want to be free. But in your freedom, totally apart from God, God doesn't exist, you have become imprisoned to yourself, constrained by your limitations, your whims, your desires. And and, and life for you is is sort of like a a child trying to get across a busy interstate. Because eventually you're going to self-destruct because you have chosen to reject the, the wisdom of the infinite, eternal, loving parent of the universe. There's another response. It's sort of at the other end of the spectrum to, to worry and, uh, or the problems that cause our worries. And I'm, I'm going to call this the hyper-religious response. And Maybe you've been influenced by the health and wealth prosperity gospel. And if so, then you'll tend to say when you come to uh, issues or problems, you know, God loves me, and I and I shouldn't, and um, uh, I won't have any problems if I believe and pray. So I'm going to believe, and I'm going to pray, and they're all going to go away. So the the non-Christian secularist says, I don't need help. The hyper-religious says, I don't have problems. But there's a third approach to our worries, the problems behind our worries, and that is a biblical approach. And here the response is, you say, yeah, you know what, I I do have challenges. I I do have issues. As a matter of fact, uh, this journey in life is is full of problems. But I am confident that regardless of what happens to me, God's going to keep me safe in Jesus Christ. Now that is this psalm. That is Psalm 121. It's the life-giving, life-changing message of uh, of this beautiful uh, piece of literature. It's how we as believers navigate the twists and the turns, the bumps, the potholes in the road of life. Number one, you know we live in a sinful, fallen world. Bad things can happen. Number two, you know God and His goodness and grace will, will, will come to you and call you to do sometimes that which is countercultural, that which is uncomfortable, that which is complex or that God in his grace will take you through a period of time that is very acutely painful because he's in the process of making you like Jesus. But every step you take, you know that you are never, ever alone. Ever alone. It's Psalm 121. You know God is always with you. That God is going to empower you. God's going to get you to where he wants you to go. Now, again, before I get into some of the specifics, let me give you some illustrations of this. Take Abraham. And the reason for Abraham, Abraham was the first and the greatest of the Jewish pilgrims. This is a pilgrim psalm. And, 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 and there was no way no way Abraham could leave his homeland leave his family leave his idols, set all that aside and, and move to some place he did not know where he was going and take the huge risk he did until God spoke to him God intervened in his life and with each step Abraham took God directed God protected and God led or take Noah for example You talk about one man that had to stand against an entire culture. And then figure out a way to get these animals by pairs onto the ark. No way Noah could do that on his own. No no way. But God empowered him. Uh, God blessed him. God kept him. God directed him. Moses in the Old Testament wasn't eloquent. Eloquent, had no passion whatsoever for leading the Jews out of Egypt. But man, God showed up in his life. And God changed Moses from the inside out. And Moses turned into a giant of a man. Or or think of the famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There is no way they could keep themselves alive in the fiery furnace. Uh, Or or Daniel keep himself alive, for that matter, in in the lion's den. But God intervened, and God protected, and, and God delivered. Then we come to the New Testament. And what would become a picture of the way the church expanded... Uh, The disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we got 5,000 people here and we have no food and we got to feed them. And so Jesus takes a boy's lunch. And with this little boy's little lunch, he feeds thousands of people before the disciples' very eyes. God's power, God's presence. You and I have no zero, nada ability to navigate the problems that challenge the worries of life. We have no ability to rise up and do what God calls us to do. We have no ability to sane, sustain living a life of sacrifice, uh, doing hard things for Jesus Christ, speaking up about Christ, uh, uh, giving ourselves to the needs of people around us who, who have so many significant issues, struggles. But God refuses to let us go. God refuses uh, to leave us to our own limits, our own limitations. Only a few fish, a loaf of bread, God will empower you God will change you God will bless you God will get you to the other side he's going to get you where he wants you to be that is the message of this psalm it's why this psalm is so beloved now I want to dig a little deeper and I want to ask the question okay um, what is it specifically that pilgrims who live that way move in that direction align with God that way believe what is it that makes them tick specifically four things number one according to the first two verses, they believe in a divine helper with divine power. They believe in a supernatural God, supernatural helper, who has unbounded power. So the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, who just happens to be none other than the maker of heaven and earth. Talk about power. Now, if this is you, if you can say this with the psalmist, this means that you have seen the emptiness and the selfishness uh, of living life apart from God. Uh, 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 of buying into the notion, I, I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Uh, you've seen the, the emptiness, the selfishness of that. Uh, you know, frankly, that that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for a culture. It's not sustainable for a marriage. And it's not sustainable for you. And so you are a person that has concluded that God exists. And therefore, I am not alone. I have a creator, maker, king, who is my helper, A guardian, lover of my soul, who is infinite in his grace, who is my ally. He happens to call, the Bible tells us, every star by name. Every single star by name. He knows every single hair on my head. Every single hair on my head. And therefore, my safety and my security is one of his primary commitments, and you know that. And yet, sometimes you're heading down the highway, man, and all of a sudden, your bumper cover's flying off. So while you are a person that will get lonely, we all get lonely. You know you're never alone. And with the psalmist, you say, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he's not just anybody, he's the creator king. Now let me take this a step further. I want you to see this passage from the book of Isaiah I love. Isaiah's writing, uh, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and, not, and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget... God is saying, I will not forget you. See, I have ingrained you on the palms of my hands. Man, you talk about a passage that describes in some wonderful ways, vivid ways, the love of God, the presence of God in the life of his people. Hear what Isaiah is telling us, that the love of God exceeds the love of a mother for a child. And it's so specific, this love is so specific that our helper God has engraved our names on his palms. That's how much God, the God of the universe, loves you. It's just amazing. Just, uh, so when the psalmist begins in verse 1, I'm talking Psalm 121, by uh, looking at the hills and then, and then moving from the hills to the creator of the hills, beyond the hills what he's doing is he's bouncing from creation to the creator and we call that move faith. Now we all exercise faith. The psalmist is choosing to exercise faith in the creator, the maker, the helper, the king and so what we have in this context is an extraordinary statement of divine help, an extraordinary statement of the love of God Uh, what the psalmist is saying, let me nut it out this way, is if God has a refrigerator, then my picture is on it. Your picture is on it. That's how much he loves you. I'm about to embark on this uh, journey, but man, my God, he's gonna be my helper. His love for me is greater than the love a mother has for a child. I'm written on his hand. Man, talk about hope. Talk about the uh, ability to relax and to breathe. Let's go on to the second trait here, the second specific thing we see here. And it's this, these pilgrims believe that God will never abandon them. God's never going to abandon me. They're convinced of that. He's not going to forget about me. He's not going to go to sleep on me. He's not going to zone out. He's not going to uh, uh, get lost in the weeds. None of, none of that is going to happen. And that's what we see here in verses uh, 3 and 4. Look at how the psalmist says it. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, six times in this psalm, twice in these two verses... We are told God watches, or depending on your translation, God keeps. Now, the verb watches here isn't a a passive, like when you watch a baseball game, like the no-hitter yesterday. Sorry, Cubs fans. I'm a Cubs fan. Rather, the word is active. It's expressed in some of the translations with this word keep. It means God is keeping you. God is guarding you. God is sovereign in, in, in controlling the events a, around you. Uh, God is not going to abandon you. God's not going to go to sleep on you. God's not going to forget about you. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad's alcoholism uh, just destroyed him. And as a result, he functionally abandoned our family. And the crazy thing is my dad was a phenomenal athlete. But because of his alcoholism, he never came to a single one of my baseball games. He was nationally ranked as a tennis player way back. My grandparents, his parents built a beautiful tennis court on their property way back when that kind of stuff didn't happen much. Never once did I play tennis with my dad. Not a single time. Because if my dad wasn't drinking, he was sleeping it off. He was slumbering. We as Christians, and boy, believe me, I I get this now because of what I've been through, we know that our God is different We know that the one who made us protects us and will never ever go to sleep on us and will never ever zone out and never ever lose us. God is not going to forget about you. God always, always knows what's ahead of you. He knows what's beside you. He knows what's above you. He knows what's underneath you. He knows what's coming up behind you. He knows what you need to get there. God sustains the galaxies. He's not going to forget about you. He will not abandon you. He will not let your feet slip. Oh, no, wait a minute, Rob. Man, uh, I'm going through this thing, and and it's just awful. And I want to say to you in those awful moments, God is not loving you any less. What he is doing is he's taking you deeper. 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 You're going to school. And do not, do not misread this psalm. God is not promising your happiness. He's promising your holiness. And it's easy to read a psalm like this and conclude, oh, you know, man, God's just going to protect me so I can go do whatever wrong. Because God has always taken you on one primary journey, and that is dealing with the deepest, darkest issue in your life that is, your sin, your arrogance, your independence. And so when the journey is hard and you're tempted to think God has disappeared or God has fallen asleep on me or God has moved on, Psalm 121 is saying the opposite. God will never ever abandon you. David says the same thing in the 23rd Psalm when David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's another pilgrimage psalm of sorts. David's on a pilgrimage. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He is with me. He is with me. He is with me. God never slumbers. Third, (laughs) these incredible pilgrims uh, believe that God is right beside them. I believe God is right beside me. You believe God is right beside you. They believe in the constant Protective presence of the living God. And it's life-changing. Man, you talk about freedom, it's, it's liberating. We see this in verses five and six, and what is so crazy about verse five is that God is so close, so real, so present to the pilgrim that he is uh, described as being at our right hand. And this presence is so life-changing, life-giving. It's like the shade of a tree in the middle of a Middle Eastern desert. And it's so non-stop that in the next verse we're told it's day and night. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now earlier in the Old Testament, there's this crazy, wonderful story from the life of Elisha the prophet. Most of the stories in his life are crazy in the Old Testament. In this particular story, Elijah, this godly prophet, is is surrounded by the enemies of Israel because the enemies of Israel know if we can eradicate this prophet of Israel, we can eradicate Israel. Israel. And so the enemies are in the hills all around and it's a really bad situation and Elisha, the prophet, has a servant and the servant is panicking. He wants Valium. And wants it bad. Elijah is calm. Look at what he says. Let's look at this. Don't be afraid, the prophet said to the servant. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Now what was the servant missing that Elijah saw? The servant was missing the protective presence of the angelic army of the living God. Now hear me, it's not what you see that causes you to worry, it's what you don't see. It's what you don't see. You don't see yourself surrounded by the living God, the angelic forces of the army of God as Christians, we travel the same road, we breathe the same air, man, we shop in the same stores, we face the same pressures, uh, the same dangers as non-Christians. The difference is that each and every step of the way, each and every breath um, we, we breathe, we know we are accompanied by God. He is the shade at your right hand. He's that close, he's that present, he's that good. And unlike our non-Christian friends, and here we get at the, the difference, uh, no matter what our doubts are, no matter what our dangers are, our difficulties, we know that God will keep us. And uh, uh, this knowledge of God's protective presence in our life becomes shade against Worry. Shade against the scorching heat of the devil, the world, the flesh. My God is here. My God is present. It's Psalm one twenty one. Now, fourth, uh, the last trait I want I want to mention as we unpack what it was specifically. That these guys clung to, that I want you to cling to as a follower of Christ in this crazy, chaotic, increasingly confusing world we live in, is this. These pilgrims believed that God was going to sustain them to the end to heaven. This is the last two verses. In other words, what they believed is that God's love would never fail, it would never end, that their story, your story, my story, in Jesus Christ, we'll have a happy ending. And the Bible calls it heaven. Uh, look at verse 8, this last verse. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. In other words, wherever you are. You're, when you go out, When you come back, everything in between, it's a figure for every place you go, every nanosecond of your life. But then he continues both now and forevermore, whenever, whenever you go, wherever then whenever. This is the last line of Psalm 23, a sister psalm of sorts. When at the end of Psalm 23, um, uh, David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what? Forever. 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 And and we have this confidence that heaven is real. And and we see this life as a journey uh, towards heaven. Heaven. It's Psalm, if you want another Psalm, it's Psalm 73 in verse 26. Uh, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's Jesus in the New Testament at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of the Great Commission, when Jesus says to these bewildered, confused, uh, inadequate disciples, and by the way, guys, I am with you to the very end, to the very end of the age. There will never be a time I will not be with you. I want you to know, based on the authority of God's word, God will not run out of energy in watching over you. He can handle you. He will not fail to finish the good work he has begun in you. He's going to carry you to heaven. Now there's a part of me, and it shouldn't be there, but there's a part of me that hates to admit that I'm a worrier. And I, I actually think as I've gotten a little older, I worry a little more. Now, I don't worry about everything, but there's some things I worry about, and one of the things as I look back on my life is that I realize that I worry about things now that I never worried about when I was in my 30s, and there are things in my 30s that I worried about that I don't worry about now. You're just like that. We all have certain things that get under our skin, and they become challenges. They become, they become worries, What is the promise of Psalm 121? The promise is that God will never ever stop loving you, never ever stop caring for you, never ever stop protecting you. Because he is your helper and your creator. So your challenge in your challenges is to know that nothing is too big for God. Nothing is a challenge for God. Now you're going to have stuff, I'm going to have stuff, but God will never ever, God, uh, abandon you. He's going to carry you to heaven. But I can't stop here. Because we need to be honest about something. And that is, you and I aren't equal to this. You and I can't do this on our own. We can't live this kind of life. So what do we do? Well, we understand there's only one pilgrim who has ever lived this way. There is only one pilgrim, one person who ever had this complete confidence in the protective love of God, and that is Jesus Christ. Only one, only Jesus. And then we understand, and in here we're moving back and we're looking at Psalm 121 in light of the sweep of the entire Bible, we understand that what we have here in this psalm is a beautiful picture of the confidence that Jesus Christ had in his heavenly Father. And nowhere was that confidence more vividly displayed than in Jesus' final pilgrimage to Jerusalem when he went to the cross to die in our place for our sins. And so when you read this, think about Jesus. Jesus is ascending to Jerusalem, he looks to the hills. But he looks beyond the hills to the maker of the hills, to his heavenly Father. But in that moment, the only moment for Jesus, he got nothing. (laughs) He was forsaken by God. Even though he perfectly trusted in God. And he was forsaken by God, and he got nothing from God. So in dying on the cross in our place, we could be given everything. Righteousness, forgiveness, eternal life, the hope of heaven. And that, my friends, is how much Jesus Christ loves you. What you couldn't do to earn your own righteousness, Jesus has done perfectly in your place. And Jesus was the only one to whom God ever said, believe in me, and as a result, I will judge and condemn you. God said that to his son, so he would never judge and condemn us in Jesus Christ. So I say this because I want you to understand, in a way, God allowed the foot of his son to slip. God allowed Jesus Christ to experience your harm. So you and I never would And it's in taking our eyes off ourselves and thinking we need to do this, we gotta do that, we shouldn't do this, and looking to Jesus and continuing to look at Jesus and the wonder of his incredible love and all that he has done for us in in dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. When we look at Jesus and continue to look at Jesus like that, the reality and the promises of Psalm 121 become real in our lives. Become real. And it's the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus and what he has done for you and dying for you and it's in looking at Jesus that you begin to solve your problem of worry. It's Psalm 121. Let's pray. Father, we're all worriers. And we express that worry in a lot of different ways and often they're pretty ugly and we confess that and we acknowledge that and we ask God that you would give us the grace to look to you. To rest in you. To see Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.